Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. We have an awful lot to talk about on today's Political Rewind, uh, so I want to get right to it, introduce the panel, uh, and then get to our special guest, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. So joining me uh, today, as he does every Monday and Friday, uh, is Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. But Jim, very, we will have much more time at some point to talk about this, but this is the first show you've been on since you announced your retirement. When I tweeted out about it, I got, as I'm sure you've gotten, so many notes back from people saying how much they love you, how sorry they are they're not going to hear your uh, voice in the column regularly, um, and um, I, I, you are really, really loved out there, Jim. So congratulations on the retirement um, and your next steps. Uh, thank you very much. Just note, it, it, it doesn't go into effect until after the runoffs. And I feel a little bit yeah. like Tom, Tom saw you attending his own funeral, you know? Uh, yeah. It's been that kind of week. <laughs> well, uh, as I said, you and I will have a lot of time in the weeks ahead to discuss your career more, but we had to take a moment to congratulate you on a milestone in your uh, life. We're also joined today uh, by uh, Professor Karen Owen, Dr. Owen, a professor of political science at the University of West Georgia and a frequent panelist on the show, and by Caesar Mitchell. Caesar Mitchell, of course, the past president of the Atlanta City Council. He was a candidate for uh, mayor, and there are many people, Caesar Mitchell, who believe you have a po- bright political future ahead of you should you decide to step back into the arena. Thank you for being here as well, Caesar. Um, let me get right to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, we all are welcome. You're all welcome to at some point ask him questions. But first of all, Secretary Raffensperger, thank you for joining us today. And as we introduce you, I want to make an honor apology. When you announced that you were going to uh, initiate a hand recount of some 5 million presidential ballots, I said on our show more than one time that I thought you would come to regret this decision, that we saw, I saw innumerable hanging Chad moments occurring in counties across the state. Boy, was I wrong. Not only did you and, your, and the people in the counties manage to do this efficiently, your office with transparency, but in the long run, you prove to us that the new computer machines, which are now in place, can give us an accurate, honest election. So I want to start by congratulating you, as I know many people in the state are doing, uh, Secretary Raffensperger. Good work. Thank you, Bill. Was that a question in there that I could answer? The reason, the reason, well, the reason, the reason that, we, that was more of a statement than a question, but the reason we did the audit, I mean, the reason we picked the uh, presidential race is we understood the national significance, we understood, and we saw how close it was. So we did, we raised the bar, and we did a 100% retally, but we didn't just run the ballots through the machine. We actually did a hand count since people were taking shots at the accuracy of the machine. And so what we did is we answered two questions. Who got the most votes for president of the United States of America in the state of Georgia? And how accurate were the machines? And so, yes, I, I couldn't give out more shout out to our county election officials and all those people that uh, came out and, and retallied by hand every one of those five million votes. It was an amazing accomplishment in less than a week. There is nothing in standing in the way, is there, Mr. Raffensperger, between you and now certifying the election in the next couple of hours? I assume that's true, right? Correct. The counties have done their work. We have reviewed all the data, and we're ready to certify this election. Uh, for Mr. Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. For Mr. Biden? Mr. Raffensperger? Yes. What was that? You jumped in. I didn't hear the whole question again. Uh, we, will, uh, will we be? Will I mean the 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 numbers will show uh, that that, oh, that yes, Joe Biden yes. has won the presidential contest? Oh yes, he, he's over. Uh, I think the number was twelve thousand six hundred plus. I forget the number, but nearly thirteen thousand votes. So, uh, right. Vice President uh, Biden has carried the state of Georgia. Uh, uh, Mr. Raffensperger, could you could you walk us through what happens next? I, I, I believe the Trump campaign has until maybe Tuesday to request a recount. And, and, and will that will that recount be by hand? Uh, 
by state law, uh, when a candidate was with, is within a half percent, the losing candidate can ask us to do a full recount. So the audit was not a recount, is a retally of all the ballots, and we did that by hand. By state law, the recount will be actually taking all of those ballots, all virtually 5 million of those ballots, and then rescanning those through the scanner to see what the result is. That is their right by state law, and if they request that within two business days, uh, we will do that, and that will be uh, is it paid for by the state, not by their campaign. And, and, and how long would that take, do you think? Uh, that would probably be a three to a four or five day process. Uh, it'll be quicker than obviously the hand count. So we'll work expeditiously to uh, go through the recount and report those res- results as well. I assume it would start after Thanksgiving? Uh, our goal would be to start it as soon as possible. We'll, we'll work with the counties. Uh, I know they've been working tirelessly uh, and we'll just have to get a dead. We have to first of all, see if the campaign actually requests that. When do they do that? So we can begin our planning. Secretary Ravensburger, let me just uh, wrap two questions in one. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, uh, and, and I'll ask both questions at, at the same time. First of all, give us a time frame for when you're going to formally and officially uh, uh, certify the vote and pass it on to Governor Kemp. But then I want to ask you to talk to us just a little bit about this campaign that has been launched I'm sure to your dismay by the Trump campaign, uh, by some Georgia uh, Republicans, some national Republicans who have demeaned your work, um, who uh, uh, on a Fox News show last Saturday night that Doug Collins appeared on, uh, the host of the show said that you had been an anti-Trump secretary of state from the beginning. In fact, you uh, supported the president from the beginning of his campaign in 2016 or from into his campaign in 2016, have said you're a proud Trump supporter. You wanted him to win. So um, two things at once. When does the vote actually uh, get your certification? And then and how has it felt to be on the uh, uh, receiving end to be targeted by all of these smears? Well, to answer the question about certification, I actually will sign certifications county by county. And in Georgia, we have 159 of those. And so I have to sign Bradford J. Raffensperger. That's a mouthful right there. And it's a handful, (laughs) 159 pounds. So so as soon as I get that done, uh, that may be an eight-hour chore right in itself. Um, And then I mentioned today when we had our press conference that, you know, know, I'm a proud Trump supporter. I I, uh, supported him, President Trump, and my family, I supported him. Uh, strongly financially in the 2016 election cycle. Uh, Many of my state representatives, um, particularly state representative Steve Tarvin, knows, you know, uh, we had great conversations about why we supported President Trump while I was in the state house. Uh, He's governed, you know, with the, uh, you know, the same conservative principles that I hold dear. Um, So I appreciate so much, so many things that he's done. Um, Some people have talked about, uh, you know, what we've done as, and I've done as Secretary of State and the facts are that we actually strengthened signature match. For the first time in 2005, something, someone has done something about trying to strengthen that process. We inherited the law. It's very weak. When Congressman Collins was a state representative, he did no legislation to strengthen any type of uh, you know, photo ID, anything for the no excuse absentee ballot. We introduced photo ID when we stepped up that electronic portal for requesting your absentee ballot. And that connects you to Department of Driver Services, which is a real ID compliant and has photo ID. Over 400,000 voters you know, used that this year. And so we've actually strengthened signature match. The other thing that's been misrepresented is that when you make your paper application, you sign your name, and that is signature match. When you send your ballot in, that is signature match. We understood that this year was going to be a large influx and a big increase because of COVID with absentee ballots. So we helped train election officials on the GBI signature match. And so we did that. Uh, and when you look at what Republicans, specifically Congressman Doug Collins, the Republicans controlled the House of you know, Congress for two years when President Trump was first elected. They also controlled the Senate. He didn't do a single thing on election reforms. And so a lot of what we're facing right now, the headwinds, are federal laws. But we'll continue to look at reforms. I, I talked about that today. And we can talk about that during the show today, if you'd like. Secretary Raffensperger, this is Professor Owen. And I spend most of my time with young college students who have very little interest in 
the political process, know very little about what Secretary of State's offices are responsible for. Could you kind of tell, uh, like, the listeners now and help us understand how to communicate to young voters so that they feel confident in that their votes are counted, how that's done, and, and give them some, I guess, feelings of trust? Well, we have a 200-plus-year history that elections are run by the states, but they're really run at the county level. Uh, in some of the places uh, up north, they call them townships and things like that, but it's run, it's localized. It's where really your election directors are coming in contact with their fellow citizens. And our fail-safe for elections is that it is decentralized. Instead of being top-down, it is a state-run effort. But then further to really support that, we have 159 counties. And at each county level, you would want to make sure, and that's why I'm so excited, is that our election directors have personal integrity. If I think about, you know, Carol Hurd down in Decatur County or Deb Cox in Lowndes County or Kirk up in, you know, Bartow County, those people want to do the process. I don't know if they lean left or lean right. I don't ask them that question. But what I know is they're right down that straight line of integrity. And that's what people need to understand. When you have personal integrity, you're following what does the law say, what does the process say. And that should give people great hope and great confidence. Mr. Secretary, thank you for your, your, your being here and your comments. Candidly, uh, as a former elected official, there is a dichotomy. Uh, that I'm have always been aware of between politics and public service. You know, politics sometimes allows for a lot of tomfoolery to creep into the process, but public service, as you indicated, really uh, requires and demands integrity and calling balls and strikes. And I found your comment regarding your support for President 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 Trump uh, in some ways. Um, 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 not only ironic, but also in some ways refreshing. Uh, it would seem to me, looking at, at the scenario, that that you took the charge as Secretary of State to really address as 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 much as you can something that was a campaign complaint of the president, and that is election or the la uh, election integrity integrity or the lack thereof, and really pushed uh, forward in the state of Georgia to prove the election process. So I find. Uh, some of what's happening to you right now somewhat ironic. But I, I did want to ask you, um, um, what do you see as or do you see a positive legacy of the last six months and certainly the last three weeks uh, as it relates to the work uh, and the, the working relationship between uh, the Secretary of State's office uh, and local uh, election boards and local counties that are charged with actually administering the election on the ground. Do you see a positive legacy or do you think it will just remain status quo? I think that uh, we had to work together. Uh, we realized that we had a big lift. With House Bill 316, we introduced new voting machines with a verifiable paper ballot trail. And so we were working uh, very quickly to get the machines out there. Then we had to train everyone. Then all of a sudden COVID hit. And then what does that look like? And then we had to stand up and get prepared for additional absentee ballots. And so we had to work very, very closely with our counties. And we have, uh, I would say, of 159 counties, 155 counties just did an absolutely fantastic job. And there were some other areas that, uh, you know, some of the counties struggled. And, and we don't need to talk about that and belabor that point. But that's why I talked about today that I would like to see legislation allows us to intervene in counties that have systemic ongoing problems. But as of May, we have 155 counties that have done a great job, and that's what we need to know. We also have a verifiable paper ballot. So for the first time in how many years, 20 years, we could actually have something to recount, a piece of paper. With the old machines, you press the button, you get the same answer. Now we actually could pull out those ballots and verify. So every voter, and I understand, I'm disappointed because my team didn't win. And, so, and, and, and I know the other side is happy because their side did. But we cannot question the results because we had a paper ballot. But that took a lot, and that, looked, that really required us working closely with the counties. And we have a great team here, and the counties have some great teams at all those county levels. And you got to give a shout-out to, to all our county election directors and all those poll workers, the 40,000 new poll workers that came out, uh, because many of our older poll workers, you know, stepped out this season due to COVID. Uh, it was just a great uh, support. Uh, if you showed up to vote in person, you saw those plexiglass dividers. How many of those were supplied by Home Depot? 
what a tremendous organization. And then you look at other things that you know, corporations have done. Anheuser-Busch, you know, sanitizer, hand sanitizer by you know thousands of gallons. Uh, other Georgia, Georgia organizations. So it was just really, uh, really the, the, the community worked together because we understood the big lift we had and the challenges with the COVID environment. And obviously, it was a closely watched election. Hey, uh, Mr. Raffensperger, uh, we, we okay. We know we know that you the the last seventeen days have been difficult for you, and that in that especially with the attacks from many of your 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 fellow Republicans, we 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 know that you've been required to 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 add security officers to your to your kind of to your office uh, because of the death death threats. But please tell me that at least privately. Some Republicans have been been calling you uh, uh, with support. Uh, can, oh, yeah. you, can you can you can you can you and 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 can you tell us who? Oh, uh, I think in these days, uh, people that send me a private message of support, uh, it, it's gratefully accepted, and uh, I think that it's a private message, and we'll just leave it private. But we're getting lots of support from Republicans, uh, and that's people are just really grateful that I'll put my head down and I'll follow the law and, and take the process where it is. And as Republicans, they're disappointed too in the results, but uh, President Trump just didn't have the votes. Uh, uh, I mentioned that Senator Perdue got 14,500 more votes in the metro regions than President Trump did. Also 24,000 Republicans that voted in the Republican primary mid-year did not come out and vote in any form of voting. They did not vote absentee. They did not vote in person early or in person on day of election. So those voters were left out there in the field, and they was, those were you know, plumb for the pickings uh, in the November election. And uh, we just didn't bring them home. But that's, that's politics. That's not what our office does. Lots of support, and obviously we have heard from the other side too. Mr. Raffensperger, um, in the remarks that you made just about an hour before we came on the air, uh, you mentioned a couple of reforms. You've already talked about basically one of them, which is to implement a reconciliation process that prevents the kind of errors we saw in places like Floyd, Floyd County and a few other counties as you did the hand recount. But I want to touch on the other one uh, that you mentioned you'd like to turn to the legislature to look at some help for. And I want to read your comments so I don't misrepresent you. Um, you you first say that it's a, a, kind of astonishing and a great feat that while there are states out there that have been doing vote by mail, absentee balloting by mail for many years and have learned the process well, here in Georgia, uh, certainly with your leadership in many ways, you had to convert to that in a matter of months. You go on to say... Um, such a large number of mail ballots have raised concerns about election integrity. I'll work with legislators to find a solution that allows us to use the same security measures for votes by mail as we have for in-person voting. And you go on to mention a uh, photo ID requirement. So just to be clear, you, you were not suggesting that there was any evidence of any kind of fraudulent activity, at least in a, in a widespread uh, manner, you're just suggesting that you want to nail down the security. Am I saying that accurately? That's accurate. We want to button it up so tight and secure, but not create burdens. And we don't want to go to have those arguments, but we want to make sure that at the end of the day, we don't have a 2018 situation where someone loses by 53,000 votes and they say, you know, they don't accept that. We also don't want a 2020 result where people from the other side are saying the same thing. We want everyone to not have doubts. And so that's why when we stood that up our absentee ballot portal, that online portal that provided photo ID by connecting to Department of Driver Services, there's no doubt who requested that ballot. And that's the kind of security features that we need so that there can be none of these issues raised as we move forward. So everyone on both sides, they know that is truly who it is that is requested this ballot. And I think when we uh, you know, fix that solution with the General Assembly, then we can move on. Democrats have long complained about the signature verification system. They haven't liked it. Now Republicans are raising concerns too. Now's the time to fix it. And that's what I believe you know, we need to do next session. And I'll be working with our members in the General Assembly to introduce legislation to that effect. 
So you clearly believe that 2020 is very likely the beginning of a a vast move toward mail-in balloting in the 2020 election and beyond. People liked doing it this way. It worked for the most part, despite criticism. Uh, And you see it becoming increasingly an important part of how people cast their ballots, I assume. If voters are going to vote absentee, it should have the same security features as what we have for in-person, the 16 days of early uh, voting we have, and also the day of election. And that way, we all know that our job uh, when we're running campaigns is to turn our base out, to turn our people out, to vote for our candidates. But there's not a question about the system. We've had it from, caught it from both sides. I believe that now's the time to move forward with uh, reforms on that. Uh, Mr. Raffensperger, I know in the, in the spring, I mean, you made a crucial decision to mail out uh, uh, absentee ballot applications to, to every uh, active voter in the state, and that up, upset a, a, a great number of, of Republicans, in particular uh, David Ralston. I mean, would you, would you support uh, legislation that bars the Secretary of State from ever doing that again and bar, also bars groups from from mass mailing uh, mass mailing uh, absentee ballot applications the, that we saw we saw in November. Well, that's really a two part issue. Uh, we send out the absentee ballot applications for a multifold reason. Uh, first of all, we are under the COVID uh, emergency uh, area. We knew that there were more people that want, would want to vote absentee, and we had already heard from political parties and third party groups that they were going to just send mass applications to voters' homes. And what would happen, in effect, uh, is that a person in their home would get four, five, six, uh, uh, multiple applications, not knowing that they filled one out. Oh, I got another one. They would be filling that out. And that all would have gone to the county election offices. It would have swamped their vote because they were very short-staffed due to COVID also. This also allowed us to have a uniform process. There's also uh, the question that a federal judge was considering, which we would have fought, but they wanted to send out a live ballot and just skip the application process. So we wanted to make sure that we could handle the process and make sure it was a uniform, consistent statewide process. Now, the one additional advantage is because we did that out, it allowed us to really get all back uh, any of these that came back, the people that don't live there anymore. And so then we could begin the process of removing those 350,000 plus people that don't live there anymore and contact them. And those voter rolls will be more accurate going forward. Because that was my third point I made today. Federal laws don't allow us to update our voter rolls as often as we need to. And many times I've said to people, I pull out my calculator or say, if you have a calculator, we have 7.6 million voters. Studies have shown that when people move on average 11% nationwide, 7.6 times 0.11 is 800,000 Georgians are moving every year. And yet state federal law says you can't update your voter rolls 90 days outside of an election. That's 200,000 people that have moved in Georgia. How many moved out of state? How many moved within the state, within the county, within the precinct? How do you keep up with it? And that's why we really need to make sure we have guardrails whenever we have our voting system. And that's why my third leg of my reform process will make sure that we can tighten the law, particularly when we look at our Senate race here, people thinking that they can just move into Georgia and uh, you know, open up and think that they're, quote, a resident. No, we want permanent residents that want to make Georgia their home. This is, should be a race for Georgians voting for Georgians. You know, I, 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 it was, it's good to hear you say that, Mr. Secretary. I'll say, for me, uh, election integrity is is far more important to me than, than getting even my candidate in, the candidate of my choice uh, elected. Uh, and, and election integrity touches on a lot of what you said. It also includes making sure that people are not prevented, eligible voters are not prevented from voting, and that people have uh, as unfettered as possible access to uh, to voting. With that being said, do you also anticipate or have any thoughts and ideas about expanding the modes and methods by which people actually can vote? Uh, you know, we have, of course, uh, day of voting, early voting, and mail-in voting. Some other states have additional options. Uh, and then as we move into this intensely intense technological age um, where so many different modes are available, 
to do things and do transactions via technology? Do you anticipate uh, some additional uh, methods and modes of voting that are spurred by uh, technology as well beyond just the methods we have right now? And do you support that? Well, I think right now we have three ways of voting, and I believe that when you have 16 days of early voting, that's plenty of opportunities. Election day that many people like, and uh, and also uh, absentee voting uh, that we have in place right now. But as I think you're really going towards uh, electronic voting, uh, you know, voting from your iPhone. I actually had an interesting conversation with a security expert, a professor that really studied this, and he looked at me and he says, "Brad, now." You know, when you and I are, 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 are you know, moved off the stage and we're gone, I think, oh, thanks. <laughs> but uh, what he said, the younger generation, they, they do everything with their iPhones. But, we're, but he said, we're not there yet with the security features. So that is really something that maybe 2030, 2040, that'll be safe, secure, and we can make sure there aren't any hacks into the system. At the end of the day, we have to make sure that we have robust safeguards so that Systems cannot be gamed by anyone, any bad actors from any place, be it from America or overseas. That we know that these are Georgians voting for Georgians. Well, you know, I, I want to say I'm 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 glad to hear that you're at least open to that. And I asked that question primarily for my nine-year-old daughter, who actually wrote a letter <laughs> to President Trump about three weeks ago, uh, and and put it in an envelope and addressed it saying that he believe, she believed that we needed to be able to, to vote by way of, a, of an application on our phone. And so I asked that question for my, my, my daughter, Cannon, who will, in, in, a, in about 10 years, uh, be an eligible voter. So it's good to hear that you're open to that. And I think we should be looking at ways to expand modes and methods of casting a ballot. Yeah, we have to make sure it's not like— Oh, Caesar— uh, it's, it can't be like American Idol, Go ahead. Uh, where, where you get to vote multiple. So we got to make sure it's secure, and we're not there yet. So, but uh, she's young, and we got lots of time, and th- maybe the next generation will get that all figured out. Good deal, uh, Caesar. It's good to know you're raising responsible children, uh, good citizens. Uh, one last question, Secretary Raffensperger, because I know we promised you we would not take up all of your morning. Um, you are now being held up. Uh, after all the battering that you've taken for the last couple of weeks here in Georgia and across the country, people are looking at you and saying you are an example of integrity in the midst of a, of a toxic political environment. You have held fast to believing that numbers matter, despite the fact you're a supporter of President Trump. Given all that, as you look at the latest efforts that the Trump campaign is making to a challenge certification to call in, as Trump is doing today, representatives from the Republican uh, Assembly in Michigan to talk to them apparently about picking a different slate of electors uh, going forward despite the popular vote there. These kinds of efforts, even though he has been your candidate, how disappointed are you in this what seems to be an effort to convince people that this election in Georgia and nationally has been fraught with fraud and that people should not um, uh, trust the process. I'm really focused on what this office does and what I do. Uh, just managing myself will keep me busy and uh, making sure that we have fair, accurate elections in Georgia. Uh, over the past year, I've really just got to spend some time with some people that have you know, spent some time overseas. And, you know, they, many of these our veterans have paid such a high price and they've seen uh, their friends lose their lives. And I think that when you see the high bar of sacrifice that they have, at the very least I can do is make sure that we run elections with integrity. I'm just trying to live up to their standards. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, I know how busy you are this week and will continue to be as you side and certify all of the county uh, vote tallies. Uh, and with a re-election, I'm sorry, with a, uh, uh, another count likely to come in the next week. So thank you so much, sir, for joining us today. And congratulations on the outstanding work that you did. And, and we should also add uh, the county election officials who've done such a fine job. Thanks for being with us, Mr. Raffensperger. Thank you. God bless. All right, let's take a break right now, and we'll come back and talk with our panel about a lot more that's going on in politics today. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. 
If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Quick note before we get back to the conversation, as many of you know, if you heard the show yesterday, we had three highly respected former Republican elected officials on the show. Um, one of the things they talked about was uh, they felt that Brad Ravensburger had been unfairly targeted. They supported the way he's run uh, the election. And I know that many of you out there were glad to hear Republicans, as Jim Galloway asked Raffensperger a little while ago, were people supporting him? Those three Republicans were. Toward the end of the show, though, a couple of them made claims about the performance of President Trump in office that have been repeated many, many times. One of them was that uh, he has, in fact, and you've heard Trump say this over and over, created one of the world's greatest economies ever. Um, We've debunked this on the show in a straightforward fact check, not partisan. I'm not going to take the time to do it in detail now, but if you go to uh, my Twitter at NIGUTB, N-I-G-U-T-B, or if you go to uh, the Political Rewind Twitter, Politics GPB, you'll see articles which show that, in fact, President Obama's economy was barreling along quite nicely, uh, and President Trump was able to build to some extent on that. He uh, Also, the claim was made that uh, African Americans have succeeded economically in a far greater way than any administration before that. There's a separate link with fact checks that as well and points out that that's simply not true. So we're going to continue to fact check whether it's Democratic or Republican claims. And I just wanted to get that in before we move on with the show. Okay, Karen Owen, you're the professor of political science. So I'd really like to start with you. And especially since you're teaching introduction to American government right now to your young students. We saw yesterday a turn in the way that the Trump campaign is pursuing its allegations that this election has been stolen from them. They are losing one court case after another. And so now they are turning and trying, and they're saying this transparently. It's not even as if they're hiding this, saying transparently that their next best effort is going to be to convince state legislatures in, for instance, Michigan, that they should not, in fact, either certify the or their officials should delay certification, but that, in fact, the legislatures should take it upon themselves to uh, name uh, electors that are supportive of President Trump. At this point, we're talking about an extraordinary subversion of the electoral process in our democracy, Karen, and I wonder how you explain this to your students. So I think first and foremost, we start in a conversation about the process of how a president is chosen, right? That the Electoral College is part of this. Electors in each state, they vote, and that vote is not until the middle of December. Um, those votes typically have always aligned with the popular vote in the state after certification of the votes in those states. Um, but all, not all states require that electors cast those votes mirroring the popular vote. And that is where you're talking about, you know, the Trump campaign switching a bit of their gears to talk about, you know, the legislature talking to those electors and, and not having it mirror the popular vote. I think when we explain to students how this and, and to anyone in the public about the Electoral College, it brings up questions of, well, why do we have this? We should just then have a conversation on president being selected by popular vote. And again, that gets into what the founders wanted um, and having more states have representation and involvement in it. And I think what we're going to see is conversations that need to happen about the relevance of the Electoral College and that those actual votes are cast based off the popular vote, that they do mirror the popular vote of the state. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's you're you're talking about the the national popular vote movement, which which uh, which Republicans in Georgia and uh, including Newt Gingrich backed until oh November sixth, nineteen uh, twenty uh, twenty sixteen, when Donald Trump uh, 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 
uh, won the presidency, and Republicans realized that they that the electoral uh, electoral college gives them an edge, uh, especially in, within uh, rural states. Uh, that's going to be difficult for Democrats to overcome over the next few decades. Uh, the one thing about Bill, the, the one thing that that was really, I guess, most disappointing and most dangerous, I thought, was 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 this 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 move that was uh, quickly abandoned uh, by uh, the election board in Wayne Wayne County, Michigan, to uh, to uh, to to scrap the vote there. Uh, uh, Wayne County is is Detroit, you know. Uh, uh, it is it is the 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 center of the African American population within Michigan. Uh, so so you had a a a very very specific uh, racial motive to do that, and and I I I, I just found that extremely disconcerting. Yeah, I I agree, and 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 I guess during the election and the days after the election, I was a bit surprised with the level of of in person protesting happening in Detroit. Um, uh, I love Detroit, uh, uh, and I'm an African American. I would never go into Detroit raising that kind of sand. I'm just being candid with you. But but you know, I was very interested to see someone sent me a link for a very brief TED talk that Van Jones did back in October uh, on this whole question of the election process and what could happen. And he talked about just the significance of a concession and how the absence of that concession prevents uh, so many uh, things from happening in terms of a peaceful transition, but also leaves the door open for a significant uh, national crisis and conflict, even, and 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 this was in October. And it seems, if you go back and look at this TED talk that Ben Jones did, it, you see some of what he saying he said in this TED talk playing out right now, as if someone listened to his TED talk and said, "That's a great script. We're going to run that script if if for some reason the electoral college doesn't or the uh, votes don't turn out the way they should for us." Uh, and so I'm, I'm very interested. I, I, candidly, at this moment in time, I wish I were a student uh, in college, and I would certainly uh, enjoy learning more about this and talking more about this. But this is a very, in some ways, you know, I, I don't want to be melodramatic, but this is a tenuous moment because there are certain things that still need to happen uh, for us to get to a point where uh, uh, Vice President-elect Biden is actually inaugurated. Yeah, and you know, I, I, we know that Donald Trump is not going to concede. We we just know that it's it, it it is not in the man's bones. But but Mike Pence is going to be in Georgia today. He's going mm-hmm. to be in in Canton, and uh, in and in and in Gainesville. And it would be worth asking him whether he's willing to concede. Mike Pence might have to concede for the Trump administration. Karen, um, let me ask you, first of all, uh, he's going to be uh, up your territory uh, later today. It's an ironic day for the vice president to be here, obviously, given that he is confronting a state that now is certifying the election for uh, Joe Biden. And as we've said uh, numerous times on this show, the first time a Democrat has won the state since uh, for president since 1992. Um but it is ironic that that Vice President Pence, who has been such a loyal, loyal uh, partner to President Trump, some would say sycophant, uh, is now kind of frozen in place because Trump is talking about running for reelection in 2024. Uh, and and so he's in an, a peculiar position as he comes into Georgia today, Karen. Yes, he is. And I think if I looked at it carefully, the rally is about defending the majority. So how much will he even talk about the presidential contest or really just focus on the two Senate runoff elections here, which is going to have to be the main focus for Republicans if they're going to do this, as they are hoping to, is prevent the Biden administration from having all layers or all levels of government. And that'd be a firewall. I think interesting about, you know, Jim's point on the vice president, will he be the one that actually alludes to the concession? 
Pence has run campaigns before on his own. He knows how the process works. He knows there are winners and losers. He's been in the political game. I think if it comes, he may be willing to say this because he's thinking of his own future, but he may be playing to the future of the party. Will the party really be the Trump party going forward? Or will there be some Republicans who are willing to take it back? And I think we've seen candidates thinking of 2024 who've already come into this state this past week. And that'll be the pivot and play. Caesar, I want to bring you into the conversation, but I'm going to ask you a question and then you go ahead with whatever else you wanted to say. I've been it's interesting. I want to pick up on something Karen just said. Um, what will Pence talk about today, the Senate runoff or the presidential race here? Um, I've been looking more carefully than usual, at, uh, especially Kelly Loeffler's Twitter feed. And I have been interested in the fact that while a couple of weeks ago that feed would have been filled with retweets about what President Trump was saying, uh, with her defense of President Trump in many ways, that, to the best of my knowledge, and I haven't seen everything, that's gone. This is now all about the radical socialist agenda of the Democrat she's running against. Uh, suddenly, her Twitter is devoid of Donald Trump. But I'd love you to comment on that and then go ahead with the point you wanted to make. Well, no, I think that in some ways dovetails into, the, into, what is a, uh, into my comment, which is really a big question about what will be the ongoing, um, not just legacy of, of President Trump, but, but really uh, what will be his ongoing and lingering influence uh, over the Republican Party. And, and, and so with respect to Senator Leffler, I think that's probably smart at this point, as I'm looking at my TV right now of one of those commercials, um, is probably smart that she focuses in uh, on, on uh, Reverend Warnock uh, and, and maybe avoid to some degree uh, uh, President Trump. Because in some ways, he, he, you know, this, this election is not about him, it's about control of the Senate. And, and I think that's important. But I, but I am just very curious, and I'll try to be as short about this as possible because I have a whole diatribe of opinions about this. And, 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 and Secretary Raffensperger touched on this. You know, there were a number of Republican folks who voted in the primary back in the spring or summer that didn't show up for Trump in the fall. And to me, that's an indication of a number of things, but it, but it, it, it certainly intimates that Trump has really just missed, he missed so many opportunities uh, to win the election and ultimately at this point to be strong. Uh, and I think a lot of that centers around how he handled uh, the pandemic. That really was an opportunity for him. In fact, back in the spring when the pandemic hit, I said, oh my God, it's going to be difficult for Democrats to win because this man's going to get some sense and really take this, this, this crisis and not let it go to waste. But he didn't do that. He went in the opposite direction. And there was a poll that just came out recently. I mean, it's too early to do polls, but Trump still has a lot of influence in the Republican Party. Uh, and the question is, is he going to go in the right direction to continue to maintain that influence? Or is he going to do what he typically does and goes in the opposite direction and loses his ability to influence uh, the party? It seems like many of the Republican Party uh, folks in leadership think he's going to go in the opposite direction and, and wane in terms of influence, which I, which I find to be just incredibly interesting. Um, I got to get to a break. Uh, Jim, uh, Caesar's comments lead me right into what I'd love to talk about after the break, which is a really exceptional column that you posted uh, uh, just a little while before the show went on the air that picks up on the very topic Caesar is asking about the ongoing uh, uh, influence that uh, Donald Trump may have on the Republican Party. We'll uh, start there. When we come back, you're listening to Political Rewind. Very, very quick program note. On Monday, former Georgia U.S. Senator Sam Nunn will be on our show. Jim Galloway and I will have a chance to talk to him. Patricia Murphy from the AJC is going to join us for the conversation. Uh, one of the questions we'll ask is, where have the giants of the United States Senate, like Sam Nunn, disappeared to? And what's happened to the comedy in that body? It should be a great uh, conversation. Uh, Cesar Mitchell, former Atlanta City Council President, Karen Owen, Professor of Political Science, University of West Georgia, and Galloway joined me right now. Jim, uh, your calm today is just terrific. Uh, you, you say that we might be looking at a second lost cause 
Um, and and t- talking about it with the notion that Confederacy was all about states' rights and all that, the, law, the lost cause. And here's what you say at one point. It is clear that for some time to come, any Republican with ambition will be required to embrace the myth that Trump was robbed, that the president was the victim of a plot concocted by a cabal, according to Ruli Giuliani, of election officials, judges, and thousands of other actors in countries and in counties and states across the country, and now it's a global cabal. But that's one of the answers to this question, Jim. The Trump influence, you're proposing will continue to be very important in the Republican Party. Right, right. My, my, my point there was to say, look, look that just the, the calendar is going to require ultimately uh, Republicans to accept the fact that, that, that Donald Trump lost his bid for re-election, that you, you've got an electoral college verdict that's, that's due on December 14th. You can't change that. That his term ends at, at noon on January 20th. Uh, when Joe Biden will be sworn in, you can't change that. But there, there was a, there was a very just a very interesting Monmouth uh, University poll out uh, midweek that 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 said that 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 indicated that that the President Trump has persuaded seventy seven percent of Republicans. This is a nationwide poll. Seventy seven percent of uh, uh, Republicans that that this election was a fraud. And that's going to linger. He is, he, is, he, he, he is going to continue to stoke that. And so, so that if, 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 you want, if you're a Ted Cruz, if you're a Doug Collins, uh, if, if, you, if you want to have a future, it, it, it poses a really interesting question for Brian Kemp. He, he, he faces re-election in 2022. How does he address the, Trump's defeat? You know, does if 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 he dares say that 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 this was a, a race that Donald Trump lost on his own, can he still win re-election? Uh, it is. It's a look, and and I use the phrase "lost cause" very very deliberately because in the South, this is the story that white Southerners told themselves for generations, that that you know that the, the war wasn't over slavery. That it was about tariffs and state states' rights. That that slavery was a fine institution. Uh, it and so when you when you build a, a political structure on a myth like that, at, at some point it has to come crashing down. Uh, it just it, it it cannot it cannot last, and so it, it presents a very very uh, delicate question for for Republicans in the state of Georgia. Karen, I want to very, very quickly repeat a story I mentioned on this show a couple of weeks ago when the president first started denying the results of the election. Uh, two days before President Nixon resigned in the middle of the Watergate crisis, uh, Barry Goldwater and a couple of other Republican members of the United States Senate came to him and said, um, Mr. President, the, you, you cannot maintain your position in office. Uh, the evidence is too strong against you. You really have to step down. And he did resign within the next two days. Uh, with the exception of Mitt Romney, Karen, we have seen no Republican in Washington, and certainly not many Republicans here in Georgia, including, as Jim points out, the governor of this state, uh, the Speaker of the House, and others who have been willing to stand up and say, Mr. President, it's time for you to concede this election. It strikes me that's troubling for our democracy. I think so. I think it's also very evident that we're playing with someone not like President Nixon, right, who had been in a process, but we were playing with a man who has a different ego. He has a different outlook. He has a different following. I mean, when you can have the social media following that you have. So it is very different for Republican leaders, I think, to actually go to him in the same situation as you mentioned from the 1970s. To think about what Jim was talking about and and his column and other thoughts, though, I think we have to remember that both parties are driving out their base. They want their base to support them. And that means Republicans will talk about voter fraud and Democrats will talk about voter suppression. In 2018, we heard a lot about voter suppression in Georgia. Kemp was a part of that election. Going to 2022, does he talk voter fraud when there still could be a Democrat running against with voter suppression out there? And again, it's to drive up the party bases. I think the next few weeks here in Georgia will be evidence of if it's this conversation of Trump, the lost cause, or if it's more of a conversation about carpetbaggers 
outsiders coming back to the South to influence elections. That may be part of a dialogue, too, that we'll hear. I'll just be very brief on this, and, and, and Karen made me think about this. We have this intense kind of what you would call far left and far right rhetoric that's going on, deeply committed to certain philosophical points and ways they approach issues and see the world. I think two things could potentially happen. One is uh, would be very interesting. It's not a new conversation, but the emergence of a third party. Uh, if, if you see a significant amount of energy still devoted to the far left and right base. And then number two, I believe it's an opportunity for Democrats right now to push in on the right side uh, of the aisle for moderate Republicans to make a play for them. So I just think those are two things to discuss at a later date. Uh, Jim, I may be being unfair to people like Brian Kemp and uh, David Rawson. Maybe once we've had the certification of these votes and a recount uh, in which the uh, confirmation comes that Joe Biden is president-elect and he's won Georgia, maybe we will see them uh, speak up. It's certainly not up to them to go to Trump, but perhaps they'll get this last shot at being able to stay silent and then they'll have no choice but to speak up. Right. Uh, but the, the question is now that then they will be asked, why did Trump lose? And if if their answer is 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 that that the election was rigged, then I think we have a serious problem. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show and also to the end of an exceptional week here at uh, Political Rewind. And I'm really grateful for everybody who participated in the show throughout uh, the week, and I certainly loved having our panel today, Caesar Mitchell, uh, Karen Owen. Karen Owen, I know you're all getting set for that uh, Christmas break, a month off from school, but we're going to try to get you back on the show at least some time uh, while school is out. And Jim Galloway, of course, I'll see you again on Monday when we talk to former United States Senator Sam Nunn. Um, I hope all of you out there have a terrific weekend. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, until we see you Monday, please take care, stay healthy, wear your mask, and go get that flu shot. This weekend's a good time to do it. See you all next week.